so very very welcome everybody i've been yeah i've been stuck in this and you know when you're starting to read and and it's all through your head and you've got been through rabbit holes everywhere you don't know what <laughs> where you end up and then you have to try and put it into one one unit and so i hope that has worked but as lizzie said we are trusting the holy spirit to bring out the bits that need to be brought out and of course i've not made speci uh, specific pauses so that you can um you know discuss or whatever but i will trust that if there's anything that comes up um that you wanted to ask do ask and ben will answer <laughs> um so the scripture that we are talking about is Mark 7, verse 1 to 13. And then the next time round will be Neil. We'll do the, the second half because this is one episode, but it's got two halves. So we have to stop rather abruptly at verse 13. So because this is a podcast, unfortunately, I can't just put it up on the screen and you can uh, read it for yourself. I have to read it out. So sorry. I have to actually read my notes. Okay, here we go. What do you think of that title? <laughs> when a right is wrong, uh, and for the benefit of those listening later, R-I-T-E, when a right is wrong. And I can't even take credit for that title. It came from one of the sources that I looked at. But I thought it was a rather good one. So let's read it through. Um, I have chosen the uh, Christian Standard Bible because that's the one I carry with me normally. Um, the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him. They observed that some of his disciples were eating bread with unclean, that is, unwashed hands. For the Pharisees and the and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, keeping the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they have washed, and there are many other customs they have received and keep, like the washing of cups, pitchers, kettles, and dining couches. That was new to me. <laughs> so the Pharisees and the scribe asked him, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating bread with ceremonially unclean hands? He answered them, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching us doctrines, human commands. Abandoning the command of God, you hold on to human tradition. He also said to them, You have a fine way of invalidating God's command in order to set up your tradition. For Moses said, Honour your father and your mother, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. Wow. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me is Corban, that is, an offering devoted to God. You no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. You nullify the word of God 
by your own tradition that you have handed down and you do many other similar things. So I'd like to uh, look at context and order. So maybe the first half will be about just establishing some things. They were so interesting that I thought I will come and share them with you too. And it might be beneficial for future talks as well to know some of these things. So just to recap what happened before, and we've had these talks already, rejection at Nazareth and followed short, this is Mark 6 by the way, uh, followed shortly by commissioning the Twelve and sending them out on their first mission and that is mostly in, just into Galilee. Um, the, shortly after that or maybe while they were away John the Baptist was beheaded by Herod Antipas. He obviously wasn't very popular with the with the Jews after that because they still held John as a great prophet. Then the feeding of the 5,000 when they arrived back, walking on the water shortly after that, which John so eloquently talked to us about last time. And if you haven't heard that talk, um, and also the one that Gilbert did on the feeding of the 5,000, I would strongly recommend you go back and listen to that. Um, and then uh, then they ended up in Gennesaret, which is just on the northwest corner of the uh, Galilee lake. And uh, there were some healings. I'm going to read the last verse of that. So Mark 6, 56. Um, Wherever he went, into villages, towns, all the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch just the end of his robe and everyone who touch it was healed. Just uh, the word marketplaces hold that thought. And since we had a talk yesterday about remembrance from John, that's another one I would strongly recommend. If you're going on the podcast, listen to the Remembrance Sunday talk by John. Um, the tassels, so when they were reaching out to touch his robe, particularly the tassels, which had a significance uh, representing the law and um, reminding them um, of, of God's law. So I, I want to ask the what, where, why and, and so on questions. The next one is place. Where did this happen? Well, this, the text that we've read doesn't say exactly where it happened, but we know where they were coming from. They were coming from Gennesaret, and we know where they were going to because the, the verse after, I think, 24 says they went to Tyre. So they were perhaps traveling between those two locations and in the middle of that is Capernaum. So we think and the commentaries I looked at suggest that they were in Capernaum. Also, that's where Peter's house is and I'm sure they used that as a bit of a base. And what happened afterwards, I've already said they went to Tyre um, and the, the story was he entered into a house and there was the Syrophoenician women. I looked it up um, and it says Capernaum to Tyre is 35 miles. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the map, which I'll show you shortly, it's kind of rugged. Um, so I think it's not just a, a quick jaunt down the, a, a straight Roman road. Um, yeah, it's rather small, but that is the whole of... Um, 
the Palestine and I've picked out the bit that we're dealing with. So you've got the Sea of Galilee and Capernaum over there. And right there in the top left-hand corner is Tyre. And you can see the map there, how rugged it is. It's kind of high and mountainous. So next then, let's start with uh, verse 1, Mark 7 verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him. So I thought, well, this was, this was uh, not the first time they had gathered around him and confronted him. There were others, Mark 2 verse 7, about blasphemy. Mark 2 verse 18, fasting. And, um, and uh, Mark 2 verse 24 and 3 verse 2, about the Sabbath. And I leave it at that. Um, so that's probably the reason why Jesus was no longer going into the synagogues. Um, they basically, at, at the beginning of chapter 6, they, they made it very clear that he wasn't welcome there. <laughs> so he went out to the crowds and they were the beneficiaries of, of, of his ministry. So who were confronting Jesus? Well, we read that they were Pharisees and scribes, and I really hope you find that as interesting as I did. So I looked up what is a Pharisee. So the first one I came across was an important Jewish sect at the time of Jesus that was devoted to the exact observance of Jewish religion. Um, they also might be called doctor of law, Pharisee and the Pharisees. Um, so they were a political party. Um, there were others as well, the Sadducees, they were more, more like the um, royalty or the um, upper class. Um, the Pharisees were more the working middle class, shall we say, but they were the ones on the ground in the villages teaching the law. And then, so there's another one from um, a, the Lexham Bible Dictionary, which says the Pharisees were members of a Jewish party that exercised strict piety according to Mosaic law. The Pharisees were a sect within early Judaism, becoming active around 150 BC and enduring as a distinct party until being subsumed into the rabbinic movement around 135, after the temple was already destroyed. So that's very interesting. So what they did then and what they taught then, they focused on the oral tradition. They didn't really like it to be written down, whereas the Sadducees focused on the written law. That was interesting to me to find out. Now, who were the scribes? Um, I think the name gives it away. <laughs> Any man serving as an expert in Jewish law. Um, so they were described as Jewish scribes, a scribe, scribes, teacher of the law. So teacher of the law. But they were a much more diverse group. Um, they were, if you look at the word scribe um, in Hebrew, sofer or grammatias, I wouldn't know how to say that. Someone employed for his ability to read and write ex existed throughout the ancient Near East and Mediterranean over several millennia. So they were not just um, in Israel, they were everywhere. So it comes from the root to write and uh, it could be, you know, 
concluded that they were like a writer or a secretary. I remember Ezra was called Ezra the Scribe. And another one um, was called Baruch. Um, Jeremiah and Baruch. He, he asked him to write the law down and then the king. It was read to the king and he cut it up in small pieces and burnt. That was, he was a scribe. And of course, um, he was legging it by the time the king was hearing this because the next moment he was coming after them. That's an interesting story. Another time. So, unlike the Pharisees or the Sadducees, the scribes were not confined to Israel. The scribal tradition in Israel has its roots in the ancient Near Eastern civilization. Scribes worked in a variety of realms, including religious, political, judicial, economic and social. Jewish scribes may have been employed in, addi in additional occupations, including copying manuscripts, teaching and interpreting the Torah and other Jewish literature, working in the temple, royal court or administration, being a political advisor or diplomat, working with ancient sciences, functioning as wise sages, elders, judges, or as members of the Sanhedrin, writing letters and documents for the kingdom, businesses, and private households. That sounds a bit like our, our civil servants today. Um, they were employed because they could read and they knew the law, so they had uses all over society. Um, some of the scribes were part of the sect of the Pharisees or the Sadducees. Some of them were uh, Levites, some of them were priests. So, you know, they were not so much a, a sect or a party, they were a job. You know, they, they held a job in all of those areas. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, so, so the group that came to confront Jesus were made up most likely of the local Pharisees um, from that area of Galilee, as well as a bunch of high-powered high Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem. So um, why was, were they there? Why did they come specifically? And I've, here I've just quoted again uh, Mark 6, and all of those might have something uh, to enlighten us. But um, I've got a commentary called Mark the Servant King written by Paul Barnett and I will quote from that extensively tonight. Uh, Mark does not say why the teachers came to Capernaum at this time. Perhaps it was because of the impact on the region of the mission of the Twelve which had culminated in the great assembly of Galileans on the eastern shores of the Sea of Galilee. The Galilean Pharisees probably felt considerable disquiet at these developments were they concerned about losing popular support to Jesus? Maybe, but I think there's a deeper, um, a deeper thought there that um, uh, that might bring uh, to bear on this. We'll come back to that. So the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him. That was just by way of explanation of who they were. They observed that some of his disciples were eating bread with unclean, that is, unwashed hands. And it's not the first time that somebody goes for the disciples rather than for Jesus. But in effect, they are criticizing Jesus. And, you know, why are your disciples being so 
and you know why don't they keep to the tradition basically saying why aren't you keeping them in line you know? um, so it's not the disciples really that they're after so here it comes with the explanation for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing keeping the tradition of the elders when they come from the marketplace there's that word again marketplace they do not eat unless they have washed and there are many other customs they have received and keep like the washing of cups pitchers kettles and dining couches so let's go with the ceremony the ceremonial washings every Jewish house had large stone jars placed near the entrance and if you remember John 2 verse 6 which is where Jesus turned water into wine those were the stone jars that he used I, th I think I read somewhere that they used that water and they made sure that that was pure and clean water because water generally may not have been clean so they used this for people uh, to wash and purify themselves as they come back in from the defilement of contact with goods which have been, may have been handled by the Gentiles um, now I've got a thing here about all the details they went to they used very very little water for that so not really aimed at, at hygiene more aimed at ceremonial cleanliness you know being uh, it's the ritual that it's uh, necessary to do and that's not scripted but I read when I was going down that rabbit hole of the <laughs> of the Pharisees um, one of them was in pr put in prison that's a story uh, imprisoned by one, by the Romans and they gave him a small ration of water every day and he used that to do the ceremonial washing and he nearly died because of um, thirst that that's how it how serious that ritual was for them so I was just here I put on the screen if you listening to this on the left mark 6 verse 56 where in the towns they laid the sick in the marketplaces and they begged him that they might touch his the end of his robe and on the right hand side mark 7 verse 4 which is when they came from the marketplace they do not eat unless they have washed their hands so the the contrast also is between the popularity of Jesus in Mark 6 you know it's probably the height of his popularity in Galilee where thousands of people due to the ministry of the disciples probably came from Galilee following them out to to see Jesus in action and then you know um, also in Gennesaret where they were just crowding in on him to try and beg him for for healing and the, those that did um, ask were healed on the right hand side um, he is confronted by the religious leaders and he is not their favorite person I suppose uh, they despised him um, so let's go on to verse 5 so the Pharisees and the scribes asked him why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating bread with ceremonially unclean hands it's interesting that word tradition because for them it was more about the tradition that was handed down through the generations rather than the specifics of what they were doing they were just picking anything that they saw them contravening the tradition um, so again from that uh, Mark the servant king 
Mark further comments that this practice was according to the tradition of the elders. The scriptures have been added for several generations or added to for several generations by the elders who were the teachers of the law, who amplified the teaching of the Torah for the needs of the moment. That was very much what the Pharisees did. They had the Torah, which was written down, the, the law of Moses, and they then added to it, um, and they adapted it to the needs of the moment. Um, this is something new to me as well, looking into even today's rabbinic writings and so on. Um, they say that one verse can never just be expected to say the same thing. Um, when you interpret it afresh on a specific day, it might teach you something different. And I think that was where the oral tradition comes from. Um, so, eating bread with unwashed hands. I'm quoting here from David Guzik. Is that right? The Guzik. I would say Guzik. Okay, let's say Guzik. His, his commentary is called, uh, you know, he's, he's written commentaries about the Bible, and this is the Mark one, where he said, they eat bread with unwashed hands. The religious leaders meant elaborate ceremonial washings, not washing for the sake of cleanliness. So I think we've covered that already. Um, so this is interesting as well. I, I think this brings a perspective that I think is, is balanced, is to have a little bit of thought for the poor Pharisees locally, you know, in Galilee. We should have some sympathy for these teachers of the law. Theirs was the task of purifying and sanctifying a semi-literate people who in Galilee in particular were exposed to Gentile influence. Along came this awkward prophet with a growing peasant following who blasphemed the name of God, fraternized with unholy people, broke the Sabbath, and whose disciples neither fasted nor washed themselves from defilement before eating. The entire Pharisaic program in Galilee was under challenge from this man and his followers. And remember, the Pharisees were political. Somebody described them as um, a movement of peace. They wanted to keep the peace, and to that effect, they had they tried very hard to have good relationships with the authorities, including the Romans, though they despised them. They, they spoke with them and they had diplomatic relations with them. And the idea was to keep the peace because if they didn't, if something goes wrong, if there was a, a breach of the peace, the Romans will come down on the Jews. And, and they did. You know, there were there are other people against whom they did. And, uh, some of that started the Jewish war, which ended with, in uh, 70 BC, uh, AC, sorry, AC, <laughs> you know, with the destruction of the temple. So I thought that was interesting. Um, so he answered them. Now, he gave them a reply, but they, he did not answer their question because they say, why do your disciples not wash themselves in the you know according to the tradition and his answer is Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites <laughs> as it is written this people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me that's quite startling isn't it um, he had already seen right into their hearts 
They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. Um, I've just quoted as well, for those listening, from these references. And he's quoting Isaiah 29 verse 13, which says, The Lord said, These people approach me with their speeches to honor me with lip service, yet their hearts are far from me, and human rules direct their worship of me. And if you see the same verse in the New Living Translation, these people say they are mine, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. I thought that was an interesting version of it. So, David Guzik, this whole idea behind the word hypocrite, uh, and that's another one that I think is a key word tonight, is the, that word. So the word in the ancient Greek language referred to an actor or someone who wears a mask. The image they promote is more important to them than what they actually are. So what's on the surface, what's in the heart? That contrast. So carrying on then, verse 8, abandoning the command of God, you hold on to human tradition. He also said to them, you have a fine way of invalidating God's command in order to set up your tradition. I thought that was such a good translation. You know, it is dripping with irony or sarcasm, whichever one it is. <laughs> um, so I thought I made up a little plot myself. Imagine how this might start. Let's make sure we keep the law properly. Now, this is the Pharisee speaking. So we'll make some regulations so we don't step outside of the law. We'll ring-fence the law with these rituals so that we definitely don't step outside. And I think they were calling them fence rules or fence rules, fence regulations or something like that. It, was, it, was, it served a good purpose initially. It's, okay, there's the law. It's, a, it's, you know, it's got deadly consequences if we step outside of it. Let's just make sure we know what to do and we'll teach the people this. So I think at the heart was, was a good thing, but it always goes beyond. Now, I can't do that little French thing of a few moments later or a few years later, a few hundred years later, because although it says they became prominent in 150 BC, probably the idea of what they were doing started in just after the exile. So that was more like 700 BC. In the time when they rediscovered their, the law, where they read it again and then, okay, let's try and keep this law. But now, imagine that Pharisee in the local um, synagogue saying, now, just so you know, these, really, these tr uh, traditions are really important. They may be even more important than the law. And, and that is based on the fact that some of them, the Pharisees actually thought the oral tradition originated with Moses as well. It's not written down at that point. And they thought that was possibly even more important than the law. Now, we've this, done this for hundreds of years. Um, we are the educated people. We know the law. So if you keep these traditions, you'll please God. And by the way, if you don't do everything just so, we might just put you out of the synagogue. Just saying. <laughs> so um, that might be how it happened. Um, or not, I don't know. But it was fun. <laughs> Another contrast I would like to show you is in verse 10, 
it says, For Moses said, in verse 11 it says, But you say. So, For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. And that quotes Exodus 20, verse 12, actual, the Ten Commandments, honor your father and your mother so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And, who, and Exodus 21, verse 17, whoever curses his father or his mother must be put to death. So the original law is pretty serious stuff. And according to the Pharisees, no, but you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me is Corban, that is, an offering devoted to God. You no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. It's like they, they knew all the little get-out clauses so that people could still be seen to be doing something spiritual or lawful but they're missing the point by a mile. So, sorry, there's a lot of words there and I'm going to have to read it out again for those listening. Corban is a Hebrew word adopted into the Greek of the New Testament and left untranslated. It occurs only once, that being in our text verse, in the New Testament. It means a gift or offering consecrated to God. Anything over which this word was once pronounced was irrevocably dedicated to the temple. Land, however, so dedicated might be redeemed during the year of Jubilee, according to Leviticus 27. Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for their false doctrine because they had destroyed the commandment that requires children to honour their father and mother, teaching them to find excuse from helping their parents by the device of produce, pronouncing Corban over their goods thus releasing them from all obligation to sustain their parents. So what wickedness is that? It did not, however, bind them to consecrate their goods to sacred uses. These could be used for their own purposes, or given to whomever they pleased, except to those to whom they had said, it is Corbin. So I didn't realize that, but that is, that is shocking, isn't it? So you say it's Corbin, so mum and dad can't help you, but you can still go and live it up, invest the money. Yeah. And I think it was like a will, I, as a way I understood it, understood it, it's like it's will to the temple, so eventually it will go to them. So in another commentary uh, by Paul Barnett, uh, Mark, but, Jesus, uh, but said Jesus, using the precepts of the very teachers of the, of the law who attacked him, you are siphoning off the money people set aside to care for their parents and diverting it to the coffers of the temple. You call it a gift devoted to God and say it's permissible because the person has said a religious formula over it, Corbin, which he then can't retract. So it's your word is your honor. That word means it's, it's ours. So uh, it's, it's a very, very crooked uh, way. You nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and you do many other similar things. So that's the, the end. I have found another uh, commentator in a sermon somewhere called H.B. Charles Jr. 
I don't know if anybody's ever heard of him, I haven't. But he, he put it, now I've, he's quoting from the English Standard Version. Note the progression of the text. Verse 8 says, they leave the word of God. So, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Verse 9 says, they reject the word of God. Um, and he said to them, you, may ha you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. And verse 13 says, they make void the word of God. Thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. So just to recap that, um, they leave the word of God, they reject the word of God, they make void the word of God. It's a picture of cancelling a contract. The religious leaders had cancelled their subscription to the word of God so they could selectively practice religious, or I suppose religion, on their own terms. With these words, Jesus concludes his response to the Pharisees and scribes. Verse 14 to 23 ad addresses the people, and, and this will be covered next time. The Pharisees and the scribes say nothing to Jesus. They knew that Jesus had rightly diagnosed their religious hypocrisy. And I, I can imagine that was a, a very loaded silence. So, inevitably, um, it turns inside, isn't it? It's, it's, it? When you read this, you can't help. It's an awkward piece of scripture because in, you can't read it without thinking, all right, am I a hypocrite? Mm -hmm. And, of course, you will very quickly discover that in your own heart that you say one thing, you, you put a mask on for people and in your heart nobody can see, except God. The other one is, is there a degree of self-righteousness in me? Which means doing the outward things, you know, going to church, reading the Bible, giving to the poor, the sort of things that they did and that we did. But where is my heart? Do I think I'm better than others? Now, this is an interesting one. <laughs> Some people say, I'm not going to church because it's full of hypocrites, which is, which is true. And H. B. Charles Jr. said, well, if a hypocrite is standing between you and the Lord, that hypocrite is closer to the Lord than you are. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, I think even us hypocrites, we need to get close to Jesus. I can't let it hang there, of course. This, you know, inevitably this, the, the Holy Spirit will touch our hearts when we read these words. Having unpacked it, you know, you can't keep running forever and into explanations and all that. It, it comes back to ourselves. And I wanted to resolve it in a way that means that wherever we are with God, that we can walk out of here not burdened down, like the, the way the Pharisees burdened the people. So am I trapped or burned down by tradition? And we have just as much tradition as they had, and maybe as the established churches have. We think we're free. We are, of course, but we still do things in a traditional way. It becomes 
very, very quickly something like that. So quoting H.B. Charles again, in Matthew 23 verse 4, Jesus condemns the scribes and Pharisees because they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. But the cross of Jesus brought the ceremonial law to an end. That's his opinion. Unfortunately, well, uh, it's only the ceremonial law, though. Um, I think the moral law stands. So, Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Very interesting, though. Jesus did not say, there's no burden. He didn't say, there's nothing, you know. God is still God. The moral law is still the moral law. We know the gospel message is the good news, is that Jesus came to make a way for us to God by keeping the law himself and to be our sacrifice. So, of course, um, I'm not a, a great fan of the Message Bible, but that is something that I've kept and have taken to heart. Um, the Message Bible states the same Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30. Are you tired? Are you worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that. The unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you learn to live freely and lightly. And when I, when I um, read that verse, I see this plane somewhere in Spain where I walked and um, of course the end game is be in the flock of Jesus that's the other image you know the good shepherd um, and that's that's it that's the talk I'm um, leaving it there and um, if you have any questions Well, okay, so it's over to everybody else now. Uh, excellent talk, Gideon, really enjoyed that. I found it really fascinating. Very well done. So anybody want to make comments or ask questions of Gideon? Not me. I'm not here to answer that. <laughs> Gideon. Gideon. There's loads I want to ask, but <coughs> I'm just absolutely amazed and I didn't notice that they cleaned the couches yeah. <laughs> Until you mentioned it tonight, I've never, I've never seen it. Before. You know, just imagine them going around washing the the couches that people were lying on. I would imagine these were what they reclined upon to eat. Yeah, absolutely. Am I still? Yeah. Some couches would no doubt be messier than others. <laughs> Anybody else? Um, so I hadn't realized and, until tonight that um, Jesus wasn't ministering in the synagogues anymore. 
um, because he'd you know, been hounded out, as it were, and now was ministering to the crowds, mm -hmm. which was quite a clever move, really. Yeah. You know, he had more people to minister to that way. So, yeah, I hadn't seen that before. It was an interesting thing to, to look at that because yeah. he, was in, he was in Nazareth yeah. and he was hounded out of there. And, well, in the Bible, it's shortly after that, he sends out the, the 12. So a, yeah. new, a new ministry yeah. starts, yeah. a whole new phase in the yeah. story. Yeah. And I always wondered, where was Jesus when they were out? <laughs> you know, What was he doing? The Bible doesn't tell us. No. It's fascinating that he did everything in order, isn't it? You know, he came to his own, his own received not, but he did it the right way around. He went to the synagogues. He, went, he actually went to the rulers, many ways, first. They didn't want to know, so okay, took it further out. Yeah, anybody else? Yeah. This is just a comment. It's, it's not a question. It struck me anew tonight how little the world has changed yes. from those days. Yeah. People are still looking after number one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do this, do that, that's the law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. I'm, do I'm doing what I want to do, yeah, yeah. not what I'm expected to do. Yeah. So things haven't changed a lot, have they? Yeah, one thing I was thinking about this passage earlier today is, um, is how Jesus keeps things simple, doesn't he? Whereas... Uh, you know, religion makes things all complicated. Mm. So, you know, the Ten Commandments are fairly simple, really. Mm. And and how, you know, how ridiculous that they're they're messing that up. They're they're not honouring their mother and father. Mm. Um, and if you're looking for, you know, if people say, "Oh, Jesus wasn't interested in the commandments," this is a good passage to go, isn't it? Because he's completely saying, "Yes, you must keep the commandments," mm. but but tradition isn't isn't as important. But yeah, I was just thinking like. God says one thing at a time to us, doesn't he, uh, by the Holy Spirit. I was quite struck particularly by that quote about the man-made rights, you know, the, mm -hmm. oh, learning by rote, yeah. because it's so easy to think, oh, that's what kids need or whatever, you know, they need to learn this, they need to learn that. And, of course, it doesn't, I don't know, maybe there's not so much in that as, yeah. as we think. Well, I would say uh, there's never anything wrong with, Mm. any one tradition or learning by rote, even washing your hands. Jesus didn't say, I absolutely insist that we don't wash our hands. No, he didn't really answer that. Because I think even he said, he, he, he wasn't entirely against the tradition. It was more against, why, why were you doing it? What was in your heart? Um, so, um, I, I can't remember what it was you said, because I didn't write that bit down, um, but it made me think how important it is to stick to the word and not be swayed by present-day circumstances. The word is eternal truth. Um, it was something about it was something something the Pharisees were doing, you know, um, which may, I think you said that made me think of that. That's so important that we don't bend the word to um, e ease it into today's living, as it were. Um, and also, I was thinking how manipulative the Pharisees were and how vulnerable um, the local people were because these were the educated people. These people mm -hmm. could read and write, but the local people probably couldn't read and write, or many of them, especially the women and the children. I think a lot of the boys went to school, didn't they, until they were about 13 at least. 
um, went to the synagogue. But it makes the, the general people very, very vulnerable, yeah. um, open to manipulation. Yeah. I was surprised by, again, maybe by the manipulation of, of that Corbyn, because the money ultimately ended up in the temple. I just, you know, if there were personal gain for the Pharisees and the scribes to do that, I, I just don't know, maybe I need to find out what were the traditions around te the temples or the synagogues, you know, did you, was it better if you had more money, could you have a nicer, you know, was it like a competition or something, but it, it's a real, a real manipulation to get more money ultimately um, into the synagogue. I, I was just so surprised by that, I don't know why, but... Um, I mean, I suppose there's still churches today that wants to be richer, better. Yeah, I mean, look at the Roman Catholic Church. They are a hugely rich organization. So, Yes, I was thinking about Corban, you know, and that they entertained it because did they think that God was going to give them, um, you know, special points for mm. giving a giving away their, their uh, what, what they should have given to their parents. Um, um, I just couldn't get into the, you know, the, 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 the thinking behind it. Really. I was thinking uh, a bit about the scribes being a bit like today's uh, news reporters, um, because they would take all that back to Jerusalem and report on it all. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that to is... To the council, yes, to the yeah. <laughs> Sanhedrin. Yeah. Obviously, this is in the context of them trying to trip him up, finding a reason to punish him or execute him even, because they were seeking to kill him. Um, and this is exactly a year before he went to Jerusalem and was executed there. This is around past the Passover time. Life didn't change much because, you know, the Pharisees worried about their position and their, their power and their influence. They didn't really care about the ordinary people. And you've still got that going on today. And, and the Corbyn thing, it's like the tricks the bankers get up to, isn't it? You know, like fiddling stuff so that you don't pay your taxes, you know? That, that you don't have to pay. So really rich people end up not paying any taxes at all because they can just get round it. And it Corbyn's the same sort of principle. The, the human heart, as I think it was Heidi was reflecting, it just doesn't change, does it? I was in, interested with some time ago, we did look at, and I can't remember who it was, actually showed how they did the washing of the hands. And you go finger by finger and you do it. Oh, good gracious, you do it. You can't come, go to the bathroom. You have to do it the same. Literally, it's, it was really funny. But the other one that made me smile was, okay, we come to church and we sit in the same seat and we do it in the same order. Oh, no, we're not religious. Yeah, I mean, I was linking what Lizzie was saying about the educate, level of education. So I think that happens today. Ros, you're kind of making a personal application, but I'm sure all of us have 
things like that to an extent. But but um, I wonder if there was a specific abuse where uh, more educated people were were kind of exploiting their parents. And I mean, and surely that couldn't have been society wide. Well, you hope it wasn't. Yeah. Or if it was society wide, it was because they didn't realise that they were doing it like Hanley was saying, to get money to the temple or something like this, you know, that, that this was legitimate. But, but you don't, I mean, it obviously needed, Jesus obviously needed to skewer it and to point it out, didn't he? So, and he says many other things like this you do. If that was, because that's pretty appalling, if there were other appalling abuses of family relations and just natural affection, it should be a natural thing, shouldn't it, um, for the child to support the parent if they needed it. Because that's the other thing, because normally you wouldn't need to, would you? Because, yeah, but I was just reflecting a well, bit they more. probably didn't have pensions. No. They had no. their children. They had the children, the children of the Pharisees and Sadducees, well, uh, it's everywhere, but certainly in Jerusalem, they start learning scripture right from the age of four, five, and they start school. And they'll sing it, or they'll say it, but they have to learn it. Wow. And, and it's usually uh, the book of Leviticus uh, oh, that right. they rarely get on board. Get your teeth into that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> About parents um, needing the care of the children, um, they, they might have to be taken into... Uh, the uh, their child's home for care, and that would be both expensive uh, monetarily and emotionally, etc. Um, so that would be one of the ways in which um, children care for their parents. And it still goes on today, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, just to pick up on what Ben said about the tem uh, about them doing it and how widespread was it? We spoke in Life Group recently about about um, the 30, yeah, it must have been, the 30 uh, coins that, pieces of silver, thank you, that um, Judas got from the, and how they manipulated that money in the temple because they said, oh, we can't use this money because this was a man who committed suicide. But we can buy a field with it and then bury people. in. And so they twisted what would have been like a, a no into, yeah, but we're not using it for us, for the temple, because we can't use the money for the temple, but we can do some good with it. And I think my mother always used to say to me, my dear, if you have to reason to get to the right answer that you want to get to, the answer is probably wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think this is what they were doing. They were reasoning around the law so that they could get to the answer they wanted but not the answer that God wanted. Good. Okay. Going once, going twice. Sold. Well, God bless you. Thanks for coming, everybody. Thank you once again, Gideon. Really, really good. I very much enjoyed that. Yeah, bless you. Thank you.